This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi, and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name's Martine, and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help, and then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who's an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Hi, I'm Anna and I'm an alcoholic. This is the AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you're an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it's an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of, of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink and this makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview a member who is going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. I wonder if you'd like to introduce yourself and, and give us a sketch of who you are, maybe starting with your age. Sure, my name's Anna and I'm an alcoholic. 
Uh, I am 42 years old, just. <laughs> Lovely. And how long have you been sober for? Uh, next month, it'll be three and a half years, so about three years and five months. Great. And what about um, your occupation? Are you working at the moment? Yep, I'm an independent contractor. I do consultancy, so mm-hmm. um, work from home, you know, one-man band. Great. And are you married? Do you have kids? I am a single parent of two young boys, eight and ten. Mm-hmm. And could you give us a bit, a bit of um, background? Where are you from and where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a Christchurch girl, born and bred. Um, so I didn't leave Christchurch actually until I was in my late 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a reasonable upbringing. Um, from a, my parents were divorced when I was young um, and alcoholism or alcohol was a problem for my family so I was the last of four children Mm -hmm. and I could see that for my dad for his dad um, who both died at very young ages and their disease and for all my siblings um, substances and alcohol um, were difficult and so I never drank until much later in my life so um, as a child I you know, really did well at school. Like I tried and tried to to impress yeah. um, my parents and and make up for things that weren't going maybe so well at home. But we had a we had a reasonably functional home, and that you know, mum did a good job of looking after us on her own. Um, and you know, went through right through high school and started you know and into university and then into working life. Right. Mm. So so when did you start drinking and how did it progress? So I, as I said, I didn't, I didn't pick up. Um, I had tasted alcohol mm-hmm. um, as a young person, but never with much effect. Right. Um, I, I happen to also have other. Um, I'm, I have ADHD as well. So mm-hmm. for me, alcohol didn't have the effect of, you know, um, it, it had the effect of sort of calming me down, not um, speeding me up. Okay. So, um, so when I was about, oh, I got married when I was. 30-ish, um, had two children and promptly got, you know, um, was separated with my husband after that. So that was a difficult, a difficult period. And, you know, being on my own with two little boys was not what I saw as the future when yeah. I got married. Um, and I didn't want that. I didn't want that future. Now, yeah. it happened that um, we'd travelled to, myself and my two sons had travelled to the Solomon Islands to, mm-hmm. for a job for me, which is where um, their dad's from. Um, and it was there that I was at the absolute pit of, you know, depression. As I struggled with depression for a long time, yeah. but um, I, yeah, I was really, really depressed. And um, my mum came to visit me, and during that visit, she offered me a Bailey's one night. And when I drank it, just like a soft drink, because yeah. I didn't have any experience drinking alcohol, right. um, it numbed this awful feeling, these awful, you know, voices that I had inside my head. You know, the self hateful talk, the you know, constant. Um, negative messaging that I was giving myself, yeah. all of that went away. And, and I remember saying, oh, the problems are all still there. They just, I just don't care about them as much. Yeah. Um, and so it started from there. Mum went right. to bed that night after I think we'd had just one Bailey's and I drank from the bottle. Um, and, and that's how I drank from day one. I was 36 at right. the time. so um, Late starter. Yeah, late starter. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I went from there to a litre of vodka a day within about, two or three months. Wow. I never, I drank maybe half a dozen times socially, but I didn't understand what the point of it was because you had to wait this sort of socially acceptable time between drinks. Yeah. And as soon as I finished one, I wanted the next. I didn't drink for the taste of it. I, I drank shots of straight liquor and washed the taste away with Coke. Right. Um, because all I wanted was the effect that it shut my head up and I, yeah. would, and I would just drink myself to sleep every night. Yeah. So when did you feel that, that it was it was becoming a problem for you? Look, there was probably... 
you know, sort of three to four months that it was a real novelty for not just me but all my family and friends because I'd never been a drinker and so they yeah. thought it was a great joke that, you know, I was drinking in, in hard liquor. Um, but it became pretty pretty apparent to me pretty quickly that I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I didn't have the choice in the drinking that I needed to have. Right. Um, and it probably was within six to eight months that I would have to have an, a shot of vodka by my bed to be able to stop the shakes in the morning. Um, so I, you know, I knew pretty quickly, through, and, and partly because I had had exposure of, you know, siblings going through the bridge program, yeah. you know, going into rehab, um, you know, court ordered. Um, so I knew what it looked like to yeah. lose control. And I, I had thought that I was special and different and that I wouldn't be like the rest of my family. But yeah. um, I realised pretty quickly that, you know, it didn't matter that I hadn't drunk for the first 36 years, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it had me, you know, um, and yeah, so so reasonably quickly. And as I say, that, that amount just went up, you know, and up and up and up um, that I had to have more to get yeah. the same effect. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's almost as though you were able to miss out that that really large part of, you know, most alcoholics start drinking really early in their teens. And it's almost like it didn't matter that you didn't have all that. Mm. You just hit the ground running. Mm, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, it's it's indicative of, I mean, probably lots of things in my life. You know, I right. go zero to 100 in, you know, three seconds flat. Right. Or nine, uh, nine uh, you know, 0.9 seconds. Um, so I, yeah, I I don't see, I seem to be able to skip over that, you know, that, that um, warm-up period. Yeah. And, and even though, you know, looking back now, even though I... I didn't drink alcohol prior to that. I have had the same thinking, you know, like I have been this way and and wish that I had found alcohol earlier because I thought, why have I been suffering all these years listening yeah. to this constant talk in my head yeah. when I could have I could have drunk and got rid of it. Yeah. You know, um and I felt I actually felt quite cheated that that, you know, I'd been suffering for so long yeah. without it. But of course very quickly it, it got to the point where it was causing more problems than it was solving. Yeah. So so what sort of how what were those problems? Like how was your alcoholism manifesting itself? So, okay, so you had to keep on drinking, but what were you doing? What were the behaviours? What what was what was happening for you? Um, well, I, as I said, I'm a, I was a single parent at yeah. I mean, even then, and um, I was working in a professional job in an office all day. Um, you know, getting well paid for an important job um, yeah. in development environment. Um, and I was drunk most of the time that I was at work. I was driving drunk. I was carpooling kids to school drunk. Right. Um, I mean, I, I wasn't falling over drunk and that I had learned pretty quickly how to manage it so that I could pass as sober. Um, and But I would black out at work. There were, you know, like there are meetings that I don't remember even attending. And, right. and I, I remember having a, you know, other times when I would be sitting in a meeting with someone and I'd be looking at them and not knowing how much time had elapsed. Right. You know, so I didn't know whether I'd been staring at them for 30 seconds or 0.2 seconds. Right. Um, so, you know, like it was just all the time and it became so obsessive that all my, my day was just driven by when do I get the next, yeah. you know, when do I get the next top up to stop the withdrawals from kicking in. Yeah. Um, I would have to, you know, not long after I had to have something in the morning, I'd be hanging out, have vodka in the car, and so I'd go out at, at morning tea time yeah. and have a couple of shots of vodka in the car. Um, I had dark windows, dark tinted windows, so you couldn't see in. Yeah. Um, so it was it would be nothing for me to be on stopping at the bottle shop at 9am and then heading to work so that I knew I'd had enough of the day. I'd have enough to get me through the day. Yeah. So let's talk about how you found your your way to your first meeting. How did how did that happen? Well, as I said, I, so I was in the Solomon Islands where there yeah. isn't any face to face AA. 
um, or there's been attempts to try and start it up, but it's not really available. And so I knew that I had to get, I, I tried to go to the hospital there and ask for some help with the withdrawal period. Yeah. And they just didn't even know what to do with me. So yeah. I knew that I had to get to Brisbane. Um, the first time I, I didn't, you know, I didn't get it right the first time. Um, so I managed to get, uh, I did a, a supervised flight to Brisbane, which is the nearest port, um, and do a man- managed um, detox with the GP. Um and I knew, as I say, because I had siblings who had suffered, and not that no one 12 steps, but I knew about it because yeah. they'd been compelled into rehab. And so they'd had to go through the 12 step programs, you know, at least in theory. Um, so I knew where to go for it. And, and so reasonably quickly, you know, during those first few days in Brisbane, once I got over that first withdrawal period, I, um, you know, I went to my first AA meeting. Yeah. Um, but it took me another eight months of going to AA. And not being able to stop drinking before I I got to what you know you'd refer to as rock bottom or you know to a, to the point of desperation that I was willing to do anything. Right. So, um, what do you think now that you do to ensure your sobriety? Um, lots of things. Uh, so when I first got sober, as I said. Um, the, the difference between day one, I guess, in AA and, you know, eight months later when I got that gift of desperation is that, you know, it, it, I, I still thought on that first time round that I could beat it. You know, I secretly thought that I wasn't really like my brothers and sisters. You know, I wasn't really like you guys. I really, you know, like I'd come along because I knew that it was the right thing to do, to be seen to be doing, you know, doing everything I could. But I didn't really think that I was like everyone else in the rooms. Um, you know, by eight months in, I realised that... You know, in fact, I then thought that I wasn't even as good as everyone in the rooms. You know, right. like that I couldn't even do what other people could do in AA, um, and and it became obvious that I needed to um, be actually willing to follow someone else's advice. Yeah, <laughs> um, which was rather humbling. You know, as someone who had been highly independent, you know, I left home at seventeen and I'd looked after myself from then. Yeah. Um, and and then looked after my family. You know, it was it was hard to accept that I was going to have to sort of put myself at someone else's um, wisdom. You know, at the foot yeah. of someone else's wisdom. Yeah. And hand over that. You know, that that sort of knowledge or that um, well, hand over my life and my will. Yeah. To a power greater than myself. Yeah. Because um, I still was of the belief that there wasn't a power greater than myself. Um, so I guess that's one part of it is the spiritual connection. Um, I, I am Christian, like I grew up as a Christian, but I never, you know, I had a very theoretical knowledge of God or of a higher power, you know, that I choose to call God. I didn't have a relationship with God. And I felt very much as though God had either let me down or I'd let him down so badly that, you know, I wasn't worth worrying about. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, service was really important. So, I mean, well, meetings for a start. So yeah. in that first 90 days, I would have attended... 120 meetings, but that's because I was doing most of them on all of them online. So other than the first say 10 days in Brisbane, I was back in the Solomon Islands and I was getting sober on Skype. Right. Um, so I connected to an online meeting out of Australia and an online meeting out of Fiji, which I'm still connected to. Um, that you know I just went to as many meetings as I could, and I didn't understand or believe that I could ever get what those other people had, but they seemed quite genuinely happy, and I thought. Maybe if I just stick in, you know, yeah. I'll learn to act like that. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it amazing, though, that sometimes, I know for me, I just sort of thought, I, I don't I actually think when I started AA, I don't think this is actually going to work for me, but mm. I don't have another plan, so I just kept going. And mm. that 
that and our ability to keep going is really what saves us to a degree, isn't mm. it? And, that, and I often do say that that um, you know, one one of the I mean, one of the keys to success is just keeping going, but you know, keep coming back. Yeah. You know, like it didn't matter how many times I picked up. I mean, I was picking up in that first eight months. I I would have you know technically relapsed forty odd times. Yeah. Um. Um. But I just kept going back, and I even though I didn't like it, I didn't want to be there. I didn't want it to be true for me. Yeah. I. I just knew that there was nowhere else for me. Yeah. And I didn't really have any other options. You know, so so just I just kept going back. I was embarrassed. I used to run, you know, I used to have these sort of fictional sobriety dates. The one that I told myself, the real one, the one that I told my mum, the one that I told my sponsor. You know, like you know, like because I, I was just so humiliated, like yeah. that I couldn't get it like everyone did. Yeah. Um, um but but I just kept coming back because I I knew that there was nowhere else. And and that if I left, the chance of getting sober was nothing. Yeah. Um, so I didn't, and, and, you know, at that point I had, you know, I was really, I'd, I'd sorted out my life insurance and everything to know that it covered suicide. You know, I knew that there was no, I didn't believe that I could stop. Yeah. So I knew that the only other alternative was, you know, to end my life. Yeah. Um, because I, I didn't know how to be a parent to my kids. I didn't want to be their mother anymore. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to turn back time and somehow make it all not true. Yeah. Um, even though from the outside, someone looking at my life would have thought that I had a pretty sweet number. Yeah. You know, I had a good job, I had lovely kids, I had a, you know, a supportive family, I, you know, I had, you know, a car and all those things that you would from the outside look in and say, you know, yeah, she's got a pretty good situation. Um, I absolutely hated it. Yeah. Mm. And it's how you feel, isn't it? Mm. That's the only mm. thing that ends up And majoring. the more that I knew that I had, like the more that I knew that I had these great kids and they were a huge blessing to me, the worse I felt. Right. Because I didn't want them. You know, and, and they, and I would have... You know, I would and did step over them to get a drink. Yeah. Um, um, so, as I say, I was very blessed that I had people around me, you know, almost 24 hours a day that were able to sort of fill that gap to make sure the kids were okay. Yeah. Um, but I, as I say, I, I drove drunk with them. I drove drunk with their friends. I, you know, I worked drunk. I, I mean, I did everything drunk because I couldn't, I couldn't put it down. Yeah. So how would you describe your life today? Well, funnily enough, like not... I mean, again, from the outside, not that different to what it was, what it looked like before. You know, I still work in the same sort of area. Yeah. I mean, I guess I work from home now, as opposed. To, you know, we've been through the the lovely pandemic, which brought me home to Christchurch. So, um, I, you know, but from the outside, my life looks relatively similar. I'm still, you know, I've still parent the kids on my own. Um, they're still the same kids. <laughs> still, yeah. you know, I have a professional job. Um, I, you know, from the outside looking in, people would say I've got a reasonably good life. And, and the difference today is that I see that, you know, I see that and I, I'm really aware of not just how blessed I am, but how bad it could have been. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm really grateful for the book, you know, for the, for the program of AA and the other members in there that can tell me before I get there just how bad it gets. Yeah. You know, because for me, I was able to stop before I lost everything. Yeah. Um, but there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that if I was to pick up a drink tomorrow, it would all be on again. You yeah. Know, like there would, and, and it would be worse than before. Yeah. Um, but how do you feel now as, as you know, within yourself as, as compared to how you did when you were drinking in terms of, like, your self-confidence, your self-esteem, that sort of thing? Um, look, it's an ongoing – like, it's not all roses and rainbows. Um, you know, like, I like being a mum now, you know, I like, and I think I'm pretty good at it. Um, I like getting up every day. Like, I don't, I don't hate, you know, dread my life. But, I mean, life is still happening. You know, like, you know, one of my um, – um, or both my son and I are neuro, you know, neurodiverse. Um, you know, things life still happens. You know, but but I have a a toolkit now that I can use. I have a support network that understand not just 
that life is tough at times and that stopping drinking doesn't stop life from happening. Yeah. But also understand what it's like in an alcoholic brain dealing with those things, you know, and how quickly our, you know, my head goes to crazy, crazy town, yeah. you know, if I'm not working the program. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I work the 12 steps in my day-to-day life. I do service, you know, and I do a lot of service um, for the fellowship in Fiji, for the fellowship here in Christchurch. I get to at least three meetings a week, um, whether that be online or in person. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, those I have a sponsor and I speak to them once a week and I, sh- I, I am in daily contact. You know, so I... I work at my sobriety, yeah. Um, and as a result of that, I have good quality of life. You know, yeah. like I feel good when I get up in the morning. I I've got plenty of room for growth, but um, but yeah, I, I enjoy life. I laugh a lot. You know, I I see the bright side of things that I didn't see before. Yeah, and I can look around and feel grateful for how well you know how well um, I've, I'm doing now in my life compared to you know three and a half years ago. Yeah. And what about the goals for your future? What do they look like? Um, I don't I don't really think too much into the future and that like I uh, I mean look I'd like to buy a house, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I think about things like that, but look I'm very aware that I've only got um I've only got now, really. Um and I don't know what is around the corner, but I, I'm confident now and I have the assurance that it, it's not too much for me to handle. Yeah. You know, whatever it is, it's going to be good. Um, and and if and when it's not good, you know, I've got tools to deal with that. You know, I've got a kit of um, I've got a kit of tools. I've got a, a you know a spiritual connection, and I've got a, a fellowship to help me with that. Um, but but yeah, I, I mean, I look forward to. I don't live, you know, while I'm I appreciate the one day at a time, you know, notion of of, of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't live just thinking I'm going to start drinking tomorrow. You know, like I could start drinking tomorrow. I I you know I invest in my sobriety so that I can have freedom. Yeah. Um, from you know the spiritual um, melody, yeah. Um, um, and from that f- obsession, you know, the craving and the obsession. So I, I, I love looking out, knowing that what I'm looking at is a sober future, um, because I, I take, I do the work. Yeah. You know, and and I don't see a future where I'm not doing the work. Yeah. You know, I, I think you know some days I get that thought of, oh, you know, maybe I could try a bottle of vodka. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, um, but I always think, well, as long as you're thinking of a bottle and not a, you know, a glass, then then you know that you you need to get back to AA. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I have those thoughts at times, or you know, when it gets when the chips are down and and you know I don't know what to do with the kids and they seem to be nothing seems to be making them happy, you know that a drink might make this better. And, but I mean that's the reality of of my disease. You know, like it's I think again, you know, I I can let go of those unhealthy thoughts now and not beat myself up about them. I just yeah. go, oh, look at that. You know, you're still an alcoholic, you still think that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just move right along to the next thing. Yeah. Cool. So AA has been described as a spiritual program. What does spirituality mean to you? Well, as I say, I, I, I happen to be Christian, but I mean, that's more of a happy coincidence than anything else. Um, I guess for me, it's just having that constant knowledge that in relationship with something outside of you, that's all powerful, you know, all loving, all forgiving. Um, it is that forever, forever connection. You know that that I yes, I meditate and pray morning and night. So, so for me, it's just having that connection to something outside of me that I know is going to have me. You know, is going to catch me every time I fall, no matter how many times that is. Yeah. So, what what would you suggest for any listeners who think they may have a drinking problem? What's your advice to them? Well, I'm. I mean, 
get along to a meeting, you know, like like come along. Like um, we have, you know, an 0800 number you can call, um, have, have a chat with uh, another member. But, I mean, there's no harm in going to a meeting. No one's going to accost you or make you sign anything or charge you money or anything like that. They're not even going to call out to you on the street the next day if they see you. Yeah. You know, come along, you know, take it or leave it. Um, you know, take what you want, leave the rest. You know, there's absolutely nothing to lose. Yeah. You know, and the worst thing, I mean, what if you go along and you decide it's not for you, well, that's also, you know, that's also given you something that you didn't have before. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just say get to meetings. There's plenty of meetings on. And if you don't want to go to a meeting, in, in, you know, in person to person, there's um, there's plenty of online meetings. And finally, what questions would you would you ask someone to help them decide if they need help? Um, I think, I mean, there's the traditional ones of, you know, like is drinking costing you more than just money? Um, but I guess, you know, that quiet small voice in your head that, you know, that you don't, you don't share with anyone else, you know, like, is there a little, you know, sort of a, a knowledge there inside of you that you don't want to tell mum about or your husband about or your wife about, you know, your partner about or your kids about that, that you know that you're not in control? You know, is there a, are you worried about it? Yeah. Because I think when you're starting to worry about it, then that's your, your you know, your high power telling you something. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess that, you know, are you, does it worry you? Um, and, and if it does, then what's the harm? And, you know, no one's going to brand you or anything when you come along. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Anna, thanks so much for coming along and sharing your story with us. That's all right. Welcome. For our listeners, if you've related to anything you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or you can call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear more from AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30 on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past show on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. If you want to stop, we can help and you don't have to do it alone. We'll now close the show with a serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.